So there's really clear instructions in 2 Chronicles 14. Just going to read it. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So I'll be honest, until um, the last couple of weeks when I've been looking at that passage, 2 Chronicles is not a book I've spent a lot of time in. So when I first saw that passage as something that I was going to speak on, my first reaction was, oh no, I wonder what the people have done for God to be saying to them, <clears throat> turn from your wicked ways and seek my face. But what was really interesting was when I looked at it, nothing, nothing has happened that's bad. In fact, God is speaking to King Solomon at a really good time and after an amazing experience. So years and years of work have gone into creating the temple. David before Solomon has had the idea They've put plans into place and years of work have gone into building it. And they have just had the dedication of the temple. And they've put the offerings out and sang praises to God. And God sends holy fire from heaven to consume the offerings. And it says the glory of God filled the temple. Wow. Wow. Solomon has had an amazing, tangible, clear experience of his heavenly father, a mountaintop moment with God. So I find it a bit odd that straight away after that, we get this reminder to focus on God. But it got me thinking that in the moments after we have a really good experience with God, that is when there's a dangerous time. We have a blessing from God and then there's a kind of now what moment. Think about maybe one of the most famous examples of this is when the Israelites cross the Red Sea out of um, Egypt. They have prayed about it. Moses has come, followed God's instructions, the plagues, and finally God's people are free to go. They get to the sea and the chariots are behind them and there's that fear and they ask God for a way out. And God comes and he delivers in that moment. His power comes, his love comes, his protection and just a practical response to that situation. He miraculously parts the sea. The Hebrew people walk through the sea and then it closes on the Egyptians. What a wow moment, if there ever was one. So, does anyone remember what happens next? The people start grumbling. They get to the other side. They're like, yeah, God, hang on. What are we going to eat now? What are we going to drink? And the grumbling sets in. And I think that we see that across the Old Testament. Potentially, if we're all a little bit honest... We all are a bit grumbly like that. I know I am. One thing good happens and I always focus on the bad. I used to teach in a massive secondary school in Essex 
where there was over 2,000 pupils. And I taught a subject, so I only saw them once a week quite often. And so I taught about 180 kids a day. And 179 of them generally were fantastic. They learnt well, they're polite and well behaved. And when I got home, I would grumble about the one that didn't. Usually last thing on a Wednesday afternoon. We are so good at focusing on the next moan rather than counting our blessings. Maybe it's us being British. It makes us really good at grumbling. So Solomon has this amazing experience. And just as he like comes down from that high of being with God and the moaning could step in, God steps in with this text, with this reminder, the God who sends down holy fire reminds us that nothing we've done before, no height that we've attained or blessing received is in itself enough to continue that relationship with God. Only our faithfulness to walk with God going forward does that. So what does it mean for us to walk, be on fire for God and walk with God and not let the fire fizzle out? Well, I was thinking about fires. Youth group um, love making fires. It's like pyromaniac. They love making fires. They love making, doing marshmallows and watching things burn. And to make a fire sometimes can be quite hard. You need fuel but you need the fuel to be dry you need oxygen but not too much you don't need that if it's windy it's really hard to light a fire and you need that spark fire can't be ignited if the environment's too hostile if it's too wet or too windy it's really hard to light a fire but we if we want to be on fire for god we need to find a way to create that kind of spiritual reaction to create that heat and light. And luckily, it's not a secret. It's not something that only a couple of people know how to do. God's formula is right there in 2 Chronicles that we just read. It is that repentance and reconciliation leads to revival. So it's a formula for each of us to take individually and as a church. Our responsibility is our walk. We sometimes, it's so easy to blame someone else. It's so easy to give responsibility over to our vicar or our rector or our parents or our life group leader. But each of us has responsibility for our own walk with God. And that starts with repentance. Or even further back, it says in this text, humbling yourself before God. And I love the word humble. It may come from the same root as the word humiliation, which is not a good thing. But humility is such a beautiful quality to find in someone. It's a characteristic that we value. And it's something that people do by choice. We bend low, we fall to our knees before our God and we meet him there and see him in his majesty. And when we see God from that point, we see a God who also humbled himself on that cross because he values a relationship with you too. 
and he is seeking it too. And repentance in this can be seen in that phrase, turn from your wicked ways. It means to turn around, to recognise that you're going the wrong way and turn back towards God. So it's not feeling guilty, it's not crying over or blaming someone else for your past mistakes or the wrongs that you've done in your life. It's an act of changing the direction of your heart. Recognise that some parts of our life are going the wrong way and taking it back to God. It's kind of a spiritual about face, if you will. And it's not a one-off process. Yes, I am, we are sinners saved by grace, but we're not perfect, not yet at least. I heard someone once say actually that Christians are goody-goodies who've like got it all sorted. But the more I live as a Christian, the more I become aware or God makes me aware of all my shortcomings, my faults, my sins and my need to continually repent, continually realign my heart and step by step I'm tuning, like fine tuning of a radio, tuning into God's heart for me. And that comes from spending time with God. You wouldn't expect to have a great relationship with your partner or your friends or your children if you didn't put your time in. And it's exactly the same when we have a relationship with God. We need to put time into that relationship. We need to listen and we need to talk. And we just need to spend time in prayer. And that's where that relationship is built. And that's where reconciliation comes in. We seek God's face. That's reconciliation. We desire to be with God more. Now, I just wanted to note it says seek his face, um, not seek his hands. We often seek God's hand. And what I mean by that is we come to him with a list of things we want help with. Can you give me a hand with this, God? What can you do for me, God? I would really like you to heal the following people. And I'd really like you to do this in my life. And yeah, you know, a bit more money wouldn't do any harm either. And I'd like some help with that and that and that. Yeah, God, if you could just get on with that, that'd be great. We seek his hand. But real reconciliation comes when we seek his face. We are actually seeking who he is. And the Bible says, seek and you shall find, right? So we've already, if we do it, there's always a promise that it's going to work out. And then it says in the 2 Chronicles, it says, and then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. Bingo. Reconciliation. Because these, we are God's people. When he says my people, he's not just talking to the people of Israel. He's talking to all of us. Because God wants that reconciliation. He wants to enter into conversation. He wants to hear hear you. And he wants to talk to you. And then he will heal our land. He will bring revival. The fire 
in us will be burning for him. You've got the reaction that creates the heat and the light there. One of the saddest scenes that you might see when you drive around the countryside is when you see a church shut. As the fire for God in that community dwindles, numbers go down, and with a pop, the fire for God is extinguished. But what if the headline read in the newspapers, church on fire, and I don't mean um, an arson attack in a derelict church building. What I mean is people seeking to be on God's path, turning to seek his face, repenting, and through that repentance and reconciliation, God lights a fire in them for prayer, for listening to God, and for witness of his word to the world. When I think about that, I have images of Pentecost, where the disciples, you know, some of them had messed up um, after Jesus was arrested, and they he had come back, and they had repented and reconciled with those and then their obedience had taken them to Jerusalem. Through repentance, through reconciliation, the Holy Spirit comes and they have those tongues of fire on their head and they are equipped to be from a handful of misfits, to take the word from that small group of disciples to apostles to thousands in the community. People are attracted to fire. It's awesome. They watch in awe. Imagine how much awe they would be in this community to watch God's fire, the fire of God's presence, fall on us in extraordinary measure. Because God doesn't do half measures and heal our land, to heal our community, to heal the people here and that fire would spread out into the community and beyond. Our church buildings do not attract people. I mean maybe for an architectural point of view but fire in the hearts of God's people, his holy own people who worship him and witness to him, that attracts people. People who carry heavy Bibles around, they're not appealing to people, but people who are right with God will. You can tell. You can tell when you meet them. There's something that sets them apart. Repentance, reconciliation, revival. We talk about wanting the third one so much, and it would be so great, wouldn't it, to just skip right there. But let's take a minute and just stay in the first two. Think. Are our hearts aglow? Are we on fire for God? And if we're not, what steps can we take to get there? So just as I finish, take a moment. Ask God to search your hearts and to guide you in the next step, individually and as part of the church. I'm just going to finish in prayer and I just encourage you to take a couple of minutes to listen to what God's got to say to you. 
Father God, how best can we seek your face? We come to you individually. We come to you as a church of God to seek your holy fire, to hear how we can be on fire for you. Where do we need to turn? How do we need to seek your face? Speak to us, Lord.